0: Hello and welcome back to the third season of Millennial Ag, where ag is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Valine, it feels good to be back. It does feel good to be back and I can't believe it's been three or four months
1: and a lot's happened in the last three or four months, Catherine.
0: It really has. Listeners, we have a lineup of topics um, a mile long for you guys coming up this fall and winter and we cannot wait to introduce you to it. But first, for our first episode back, we need to introduce you to a returning guest. Um, you know him, you love him, or maybe not, but he has lots and lots of opinions and he is here to give us a really great episode today. So Damian Mason, welcome back to Millennial Lag.
2: I'm glad to be here with my friends Catherine and Val. And as I said before, you hit the record button. I hadn't talked to you for a long time. It was like this thing came across your phone. It's kind of like when when a tooth fairy leaves you money. You know, there was some pain, but then there was the joy, and then there was that whole thing with you. <laughs> All right. So what's uh, I am happy to be here, by the way, and uh, thank you for making me uh, uh, your guest.
0: Absolutely. So, Damian, I was listening to your podcast, the Business of Agriculture podcast, um, just the other day, and you mentioned a concept that really grabbed um, our attention. So what it was, was you said that agriculture is about to experience uberization. So go ahead and tell us what you mean when you say that.
2: Yeah. We have uh, a very capital intensive industry. In general, commodity production as about as low of returns as anything. I mean, uh, my friend Todd Thurman and I host a thing called the Business of Ag Success Group, where some ag professionals meet every couple of weeks on a Zoom call and we bring in guest presenters. And one of the, Todd's resounding uh, discussions, we talk about the capital situation. He's in the hog industry. You went to some business person, an investor, whatever, and said, Hey, I'm going to need $5 million, $10 million. Let's say $10 million. That's good enough. $10 million. And then you're going to work about 65 to 75 hour weeks while your $10 million is deployed. And then at the end, you're going to get about a 4 to 8% return. And those people would say, what in the hell are you talking about? You want me to give you $10 million for a 4% return and I've got to put in 80 hour weeks? We do that in Ag. You're from a large-scale dairy operation, Catherine. The numbers are staggering. I rent my farm ground to a large-scale dairy operator. The number of cap dollar amount of capital deployed is Astonishing to the average suburbanite, and then to the people that are not in our industry, that we work for such paltry returns. So why am I talking to you about capital when you ask me about uberization? One of the places that a tremendous amount of our capital is deployed is in machinery. Uh, we know about fixed assets, you know, uh, the milking parlor at your facility, your mom and dad's facility, the, uh, the the swine production facility, whatever it should be. But then there's a lot of moving iron, right? And farmers love machinery, absolutely love machinery. You, you know, uh, you go to a, a state fair and there'll be the new stuff and then there'll be the stuff from the, the old days, which, you know, I remember operating and to you looks like an antique. We love tractors, <laughs> hey, I used right? To,
0: I used to do antique tractor pulls with my dad back in the day.
2: Sure. And the antiques that you call antiques were the stuff that we used on my farm because that's how old <laughs> I am compared to you. But anyway, let's let's go down this road, though, about the machinery. Let's say you're a 2,000 acre grain producer here in my home state of Indiana. You probably have a million dollars at least worth of equipment, maybe $2 million worth of equipment. You know, you got some semis, you've got the combine, which is a, you know, half a million dollar piece of equipment, a sprayer, at least another half million dollar piece of equipment, a few large tractors, it goes on. So, while farmers love machinery and they love playing with their toys and driving that machinery, it's a hell of a lot of capital tied up. And you say, yeah, but they don't really own it. Well, (laughs) that still is an obligation of expense. And so, and I, I came up with this when I wrote my book, but I've been sort of further going through the thought process. It was only about a few years ago, we invented this thing called Uber. You know, I always point out that, this innovation of this idea did not come from people in the transportation industry. Um, some really smart people were sitting around and said, okay, um, everybody and their sister has one of these things called a smartphone. And then there's probably some guy named Tom who has a Toyota Camry And he has some extra time on his hands, and he would like to make some money. What if we connected Val, who needs to get to the airport, and Tom, who has a Camry and wants to make some money, and we do it through this thing called a smartphone. And then we'll go ahead and make sure there's some insurances and some other things like that so she's not afraid that Tom's going to, you know, pull over and mug her. But there's that. And you're saying, okay, Damien, what's that have to do with us? If I've got two million dollars worth of farm machinery sitting in a tool shed, that's a hell of a lot of money that could be going somewhere else. Even if I'm using leverage money, now I'm paying interest on that to have machines sit there. I worked in a factory growing up when I was going to college, and the one thing that we liked to do was keep that factory rolling. We liked it to be at capacity. Are your farm machines at capacity? The answer is no. That's why there's going to be this push for Uberization because of the capital tie-up, which we've always accepted. And why did I bring up the Uber thing? Because when you think about it, that sort of thinking is going to come to our industry because why? It will satisfy the need of freeing up capital. We have always done, as we know, what we've always done. Yeah, we get better at The machines are bigger, faster, have more technology, et cetera, et cetera. But it's still a tremendous amount of capital tied up.
1: So what's different from hiring somebody to just go run that piece of equipment more days of the year or what's the, what's the difference or what, you know, kind of like a custom harvest business.
2: Yeah. And, uh, there is, there is this difference in that, um uh, eventually I not only think we're going to be Uberized, I think we're going to be autonomous. Uh, so then that hiring the person to sit in a combine, you're going to say we used to do that, you know, we're gonna hire somebody to sit in the square. So eventually We're going to have autonomous, but what's the difference Um, right now? You're still dependent on that contractor and you also probably schedule that out a long way out. What if we get to where you dial it up like a week ahead of time on your smartphone, instead of saying, yeah, Roy of custom harvesters comes up from Texas every year and we have this long-term contract. it will probably be that different. Um, Also, I would, I would venture to say this, you talked about just custom harvesting. Do we do that with everything Not really. Now you can have your stuff custom farmed, but is there a custom sprayer? Yes. Is there a custom planter? Yes. The difference, I guess, isn't that great other than you're talking about transferring of the ownership. So it does meet that thing. It also tends to be less on demand. um, And right now the system is not really at capacity. Here's another thing. Talk to somebody who custom farms and my brother used to do it when he got out of dairying He said, all you're really doing is just paying for your equipment to become depreciated. In other words, there's not that good of margins in it. Whereas right now, I think you could make the case that Uber made transportation cheaper. But after three years, the money must be still good enough that you're not just paying for somebody's depreciation. You also are giving them a return on their investment.
0: So in that realm of thinking, how how would this work? Um, do people would a group of farmers form an LLC and the LLC owns the machine? Um, how do shares of machinery get shared if that group of people buys it? But
2: if I had it completely figured out, I'd be right now calling all my rich people and doing a series A of a, a round of investors, and this thing would be going. So I'm not saying that I have it all figured out, and I will admit that there are a few. I'll admit there are a few unanswered questions or some holes in my hypothesis, but. I have been around long enough, and I've been in the industry of agriculture long enough, and I know a little bit about capital markets, et cetera, and I know about economics. When there's this much money, like I said, I would like you to think about, it tends to be that way in commodity production. You know, the uh, big oil has low margins. Um, uh, airlines have shit loads of uh, capital expenditure on machines, and they have historically low margins but they also have something going for them. They have oligopolistic um, uh, you know, uh, marketplace situations, and they also have shareholders. Farms are still 97% family owned. They might be set up as a corporation, S-Corp, C-Corp, LLC, whatever they are, but they're still family owned. The, the reason I see this happening, again, is to satisfy the fact that there's that much capital tied up for something that does not get that much usage. On your dairy farm, it would be a different story. There's probably a payloader that is operating about 12 hours a day on your parents' dairy farm. There's a couple of skid loaders that probably are being ran for six to 12 hours per day. The feed cart is getting used for six hours per day, probably, I'm just guessing these numbers. Then there are things like the sprayers or the, uh, the combines and planting equipment that is way lesser used. Um, so I think it's gonna be the money that will drive it. How is it set up? I don't know. What you mentioned, the beginning of the uberization of machinery is already happening. I can name some people. There's a guy named Chris Barron. He uh, is a farmer and also a farm business advisor in Iowa. And He is in equipment sharing because of the exact thing we're talking about. He said this was so much of a massive amount of money to be tied up that he is in an equipment share arrangement with multiple farms. It requires more management. Somebody's going to say, I want that combine on October 14th because it's the time to get out there and and shell that corn. Well, it's over on your neighbors. There is that thing about time. Um, The seasonality, if you will. Um, So is that still an objective? My question would be, if you have four combines and you and you say it's because i've got to have them when i need to have them what if you missed it by a day you know it starts then becoming the question of if you missed your harvest window by 3 days is it is it detrimental enough to justify having two million dollars of machines sitting around most of the time and most if you look at it rationally while farmers hate the idea that they missed the best day to harvest by a day mm-hmm. they would actually if you could get them to admit it say yeah you're right that's a lot of money to have tied up for a couple of days so th- these things are already happening they're not happening at scale yet
1: so you're talking i buy like a quarter of a share and i get a quarter of and then I get access to all the equipment, say, in that share share, or that entity or whatever.
2: Val, were was- you sitting here when I said I don't have it completely worked out yet? Because if I did, I'd be going to my rich friends asking for investor seed money and we would have this thing going. There are still some holes in the theory, I admit. But again, <laughs> I'll go back to the reasons that it happens. You remind me of an agent I used to work with when I was in my big creative mode talking about a new uh, series of jokes in my Bill Clinton political comedy era. And then he started talking to me about whether I was going to take the 9 a.m. flight or the 9:17 a.m. flight. And I'm like, for Christ's sakes, I don't know that. Anyway, I don't have some of the answers yet, Val, on that. <laughs> It, it already is happening on shared ownership to your question. I just gave you the Chris Barron example a friend of mine that's a business farm and farm business advisor in Iowa. He is doing the thing where he owns twenty seven percent of something and the guy down the road owns fourteen percent of it and the lady over here owns they already those things already are happening. and usually they still are probably over equipped um because they want to make sure they have it when, in other words, it's one thing for four of us to own this combine uh or three of us to own this combine but if 10 of us own it, then we might not need you know, get it when we need it. So there's that to be worked out um what if you don't own it at all um you know yeah. we've got a thing in the cities that works right now. you girls are both in your 20s and 30s. Uh, a lot of your friends might live in Denver and not even own a car. And so maybe the answer isn't split ownership. Maybe it's non ownership.
0: Yeah. So that was my next question. Was yeah, what if it's an on-demand service? You don't own it, but you call up whoever it is and say, "Hey, I need this within this three-day time window." Um, yeah. So, and- so
2: think, when you think about it in that regard, um, then everybody and her sister is going to say, "I need it this day," right? you're going to pay a premium more for the combine, obviously, in October in Indiana than you would in uh, May, right? We, We know that. But the thing could be moved. And then you start thinking, okay, there has to still be a premium put on that. Okay, let's just say, rather than custom harvester, and rather than me owning it, you start assigning how much does that hour cost you, right? So you're paying a probably more per hour to have it on demand than if you had your own car again we might look at the uber example i don't know but i'm guessing if i punched out cost for me to have my five-year-old ford fusion versus me taking ubers it probably still is less expensive for me to have my five-year-old ford fusion on a per mile basis taking my license plates my insurances and my fuels. And then even if you calculate the cost of the car, but I have to house it, I have to take care of it. If it breaks, I have all of these things. So maybe the handoff is I am paying more per hour by a little bit for this Uberization of farm machinery that I see coming in the future, but I don't have to house it. I don't have to insure it. I don't have to make sure that it works. That is where the trade-off might come in. you know, I do have $20,000 tied up in my five-year-old Ford Fusion that if I weren't, you know, doing it, I could also say, hmm, maybe it would make more sense to just be Ubering it. Um, I can see it costing more, I guess, is the answer. But more on a small spend versus more outlay where you're taking six hundred some thousand dollars to put it into the machine up front.
1: Right. So it may be very similar to what we have here is like a renter center. You know, I need a, a track hoe for the day to go dig a trench for my house so I can go pick it up, use it, and bring it back. But it could connect, you know, if say my husband now has a piece of equipment he hardly uses um, except to plant and somebody's planting later, he could list it and somebody could come pick it up for a couple days. Get yeah, wait.
2: And again, you're talking about the the seasonality is what the argument that's always going to be made. You know, you've got to spray when you know before the fungus, uh, before the before the problem happens. I get all that. I have a boom mower, one of those things that the county highway uses to mow along the roads. I bought it last year because I couldn't find one to rent. And now I'm thinking to myself, why do I have this thing? I, I need I need it for, you know, eight hours a year to do my ditches and, and some uh, fence rows. And I would, I would prefer to pay more per hour to just be able to go and grab it at the renter center, which there was none there, versus me owning it. So I can see it fitting a lot of those kinds of situations
0: you know what um, the answer is there, Damien? You Uber about, out your mower.
2: <laughs> I I should be the Uberer of the mower, which is actually, uh, I would do it, but I'm busy on Zoom calls with you. So therefore I can't devote energy to that right now. Um, I I like that you're asking these questions because I get it that it's not completely worked out yet. Um, I went with the premise of capital and returned to that capital. And I'll give you another thing that might actually prod this along. First off, Why I could see this happening, even though it's not completely worked out yet. Uh, Smartphone technology, we're, what, 10 years in, um, 20 years, I mean, even old, people older than me in farming use their smartphones for a lot of applications, right? So there's the acceptance of that. Then there's the acceptance of the model. Um, When I was a little boy at kindergarten in Northwest Elementary School, the policeman came in. And he told us, children, don't ever get into a car with strangers. Now, I hop in a (laughs) car with Tom, and I get in Tom's Toyota Camry in Kansas City. I had never seen Tom before in my life. I have no idea who Tom is. I don't know where he lives. I don't know, I. but I get in there, and I drive from Kansas City Airport to the hotel where I'm going to do a speaking engagement. Guess what? It works. There's an acceptance now of the technology. There's an acceptance of the business model. So those are two big things that would drive it. I'll give you a third thing that might drive the uberization of farm machinery and that, of course, is going to be these interest rates—the cost of money. Um, sometimes farm machinery gets bought because it's a tax—a uh, tax planning thing. Um, most people that are brilliant accountants, which I am not, will say that's usually a dumb reason to buy machinery, but farmers are famous for it. They look like they're going to have a big year, so they run to the John Deere dealership uh, December 15th and get a bunch of money off their books by buying something. It's usually not necessarily great um, uh, financial strategy, but it's it's because farm people hate to pay taxes. So... Let's say you're not buying machinery because of a tax strategy. And right now, agriculture is really up. We tend to be counter cyclical to the main street economy, right? So we're in our third year of things being really good for the most part. People that can't get water for their almonds in California and can't get shipping containers, they're hurting. But in general, agriculture is doing pretty well this year and and the last two. Um, So right now, there's money floating around but I lived through the eighties and there's a whole bunch of people that would have probably preferred to not have a bunch of machinery hanging over their head and debt sitting in that farm building because they ended up getting foreclosed upon and had to liquidate in the 1980s. What if we start extrapolating what the 1970s looked like heading into the eighties? And I could make a lot of comparisons to what agriculture looks like right now. Uh, again, my friend, Todd Thurman, and I talk about it. It's increasingly difficult to not compare now to the farm boom and then bust then. So if that happens, there's gonna be a lot of debt out here. And then there's gonna be bankers that say, we're not really as willing to have you financing this $2 million with the farm machinery. We'd like you to figure out another way. So the money could drive it. The fact that the farm economy is gonna maybe take a little tumble in a few years could drive it. Also the cost of money, even if you are well uh, capitalized and you do this, I got a headline right here that the we just are we're pushing north of six and approaching seven percent on mortgage interest rates. What would a farm uh, machinery note be? Would it be in that six to eight percent? Maybe. So all of a sudden, the cost of money will make that machinery less smart to have, you know, sitting in your uh, shed. So I think those are the things that would drive this: technology acceptance of the business model, and the economy and interest rate situation.
0: All right, so oh. no, Go ahead, Val. I was just going
1: to say, so where did this idea stem from? Was this your idea or was this something that you were having a beer with a buddy and decided?
2: For God's sakes, Val, I'm probably the biggest idea guy in the industry of agriculture and you're asking me that? Or I stole it off of somebody in a phone booth. Of course it's my idea. <laughs> it's my idea because... I have my farmer buddies and I see the machines that they have. And I say, how much is tied up in here? And then there's things, like I said, my dairy tenant, you can't not have a milking parlor. You can't not have freestall barns. You can't not have um, bunker silos and the payloads, etc. So then I started saying, yeah, you have no choice, but to have all that capital tied up. What about somebody that has a boatload of farm machinery and is maybe over-equipped or more importantly just over-equipped for most of the year and that's when the thing started coming to me. what would be the solution And i went through that whole idea of what's the difference between this and custom farming and there's some obviously parallels but then it dawned on me it's not quite there yet but then neither was uber and as i like to point out you know the the people that founded uber they did not come from yellow cab You know, Yellow Cab thought their competition was another cab company or the bus. They didn't think it was Larry with his Toyota Camry and his smartphone. So uh, while I admittedly don't have the Uberization concept completely 100% worked out in my head, I'm convinced that models like this are going to come for the reasons that I already said. It wasn't my idea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Touched a nerve there, Val. (laughs) Okay, so you answered it a little bit at the beginning of what you just said, but now I'm curious: what does this look like for livestock production? Agree on dairy farms, at least you have your bunker silos, you have your your barns and milking parlors, and even your shit ponds. Um, but what about what about other aspects of the livestock operation?
2: Well, some of this is kind of already happening because, the, again, the capital is so you know the capital outlay is so great for such generally poultry returns um right now there's discussions being talked about say methane digesters you've probably heard about this maybe your parents operation is large enough that they are putting one in or have been approached about it but i'm maybe hearing it's a value day job that's okay i didn't know that so that is <laughs> it's my understanding and val's the expert here i'm not that now if i've got a big dairy operation outside investors will build this methane digester and then they'll get some uh Credit through tax incentives, tax credits, uh, some of this new uh, climate crusader money. I mean, I don't know all the details, but the operator wouldn't necessarily own the methane digester. So there's one capital asset that they could benefit from, but not have to pay for. Um, you know, obviously, many of these things are happening already, as you talked about custom farming, custom operators, et cetera. Um, so does it come to livestock? I'd say that in some regards, it already has. There's a lot of things that they already farm out. It's not quite the Uber effect, but uh, you know, feedlots, okay, don't, feedlots, feedlots don't feedlots don't typically like grow their own grain. You, you know, they farm that out, so to speak. So we kind of have been seeing models that have similarities to this for a long time.
0: I think, I think the we could think about it in terms of labor as well, because growing up, I threw a lot of tires covering silage piles and now my family's farm has grown big enough and um you know their their time is valuable enough that they have to be spent doing businessy things that we hire that out anymore
2: yeah so custom custom silage choppers is a big thing it's not like unlike custom harvesters they just uh, run around and feed these dairies and and obviously their time their window is tight um, and and then then of course what do they do in the off season i don't know Um, Are we to the point where we could, you know, I already know of some situations where um, uh, a person that I uh, have heard speak about this topic, their combine gets used in two different parts of the world, two different parts of the United States of America. So that way it is way more, it's used at least twice as much as it would be if it were just in an Indiana farm. It also goes to Texas or something because the seasons are different and all that kind of thing. We could see more movement in that regard. This whole uberization idea, we could see more movement of a fleet. I see machines getting smaller, which would lend itself to this idea a little bit better. When something is smaller and uh, autonomous, it's a hell of a lot easier than to move it around to where it could be best deployed. Think of a drone versus a cargo jet.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and fuel, you've got to consider like fuel costs and stuff like that when transport, you know, transporting it too and how can you offset that by running it more and
2: all that well again again i hear what you're saying and i know that that's a person that loves owning their own machine would use that uh as the reason you'd say well one of the big points when we had our first fuel crisis i i I get my energy crisis confused i mean we started having them in the 70s when i was a little boy when i was trying to play with my matchboxes and told me we were going to run out of oil in 40 years that was 60, 50 years ago. But uh, anyway, we're still not out of oil. One of the big things that the railroads do, the railroads say we can move a ton of freight, uh, you know, 100 miles for eight-tenths of a gallon of gas. There's some, they've got a number because they were using it to point out the efficiency of rail in terms of moving big stuff long distances. So I guess I would ask the question, is transporting a half million dollar machine that then saves you a whole bunch of money. Is the transportation really that great? I think, you know, you could probably move. The number is not as great as you would think. And also, we're not not every piece of equipment is going to go from New Jersey to Los Angeles. I mean, we're not going to necessarily go across country. So I, I think the transportation thing right now, it's the availability right now. It's the fact that farm people love their machinery, but also they say when I need it, I need it. And I get that. I get that, you know, planting windows and harvesting windows are tight, but again, you still got to look at the fact that that's a lot of money to be tied up for something that gets seven days worth of use. So the the first thing would be, is there money to own all this? So does the Uber, is it the, is the Uber doesn't own anything? Um, So now we're doing that thing where, um, Uber owns the technology. They don't own the combine. So if we're just connecting, this could be the future where it's truly that thing of, I'm not really a custom harvester, but I also, I have this machine and I'm done and I'm in uh, Tennessee um, and you're in North Dakota and you haven't even started. So it could be that. Maybe more people end up becoming on that custom harvester side if that's the idea.
0: All right. So shifting
2: gears. Val, Val, when I get this all worked out, Are you going to invest $10 million in this company that I'm working out right now?
1: If I have $10 million.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, dear. All
0: right. Yeah. Switching gears a little. So I want to talk about, because it always comes up, sustainability regarding this type of um, business model, if you will. Um, There's
2: one thing that's good. Uh, Let's talk about sustainability. First off, um, the best thing you can do if you want to be better for the environment, your parents that I know you're a part owner, even though I keep saying it's to your parents, this dairy facility in Utah. It's more sustainable than Ma and Pa Kettle and Old Bessie was because Old Bessie uh, didn't have a good feed ration. Uh, old Bessie gave 20 pounds of milk per day on a really, really good day. Yours at your farming operation give 80 plus pounds of milk per day. Efficiency. Yields sustainability, right? Um, You know, our our consumers don't get that right. They get it wrong. They say organic is more sustainable. No, organic uses more land, more diesel, more resources to get less calories per acre. So sustainability is actually enhanced by modern technological advances uh, of efficiency. Sustainability would be improved, even using Val's question about transport. What if I have four times more combines in the United States of America than I actually need if those combines could be deployed. That's four times more rubber, four times more manufactured steel, more smelted metals, and in other words, if we realize that we have way more stuff than we need, they could make the sustain, and it, our friends at John Deere or Case International would not like this discussion, but I'm saying, what if we have four times more farm machinery than we actually need on a per acre and per hour basis? Wouldn't sustainability get a big shot in the arm by not having to run those factories, not have to have all the lighting on in those factories, not have many? and I'm not trying to take jobs away from anybody, I'm merely pointing out that if, we have a, if we're have if we over-equipped because of less efficiency on the, uh, our application of the machinery, sustainability is a big shot in the arm.
0: Yeah, agreed. And that sounds like, you know, on an economic basis, let's just play to the greenies here for a minute. And what about on an environmental basis?
2: Yeah, the greenies should like this idea, because even though we're, we're doing the transportation thing again, we're we're having less stuff and that's generally good for everybody, except for the equipment manufacturers. I do own stock in John Deere, by the way, so I don't want you people to get wound up at me if you're listening to this. I'm, I'm all I'm all about it. Um, so sustainability being more efficient with stuff usually drives sustainability. We would accomplish that goal. Um Equipment getting smaller uh, and autonomous should also actually be better and more sustainable, right? Um, You know, a a, a compact car uses less fuel than an SUV. We all know that. So when machinery does start to come down in size, which it never has, it's only only gotten bigger for the last 100 years, we might eventually start seeing some efficiencies there and having smaller. Um, The autonomous thing is going to happen probably just period and it's because it's drives efficiency and also the manpower issue um you just talked about it for for seven days when you're putting those bunkers uh you're filling those bunkers there's a person out there driving backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards on a silage pile i've never i've done it on a smaller scale uh, if that was my life i i would i would need to have some sort of prescription drugs i think <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's like milking cows for me. I grew up on a dairy. I milked cows and it's, I hate milking cows. I don't enjoy it.
2: <laughs> yeah, there we go. So uh, anyway, Val, you want to ask me one more question about whether it was my idea or not? Is it, you know, <laughs> I start, start throwing I'll stuff. I'll save you like,
1: a heart attack today, Dean. <laughs> but I think the labor, you know, you talked about John Deere, you know, we're cutting back, maybe needing to run a night shift if we can become more efficient and right now with our labor crisis that might be the a solution you know because we're i mean there's still help wanted signs all across our town yeah. anyway and they can't yeah, We got it. a
2: unique we got a unique situation where it looks like we're going to go from I can't get help to then we're going to start having a rising unemployment issue because of the economic downturn um this is going to happen in fast order it looks like and usually that's not been but th- there was a lot of Shall always say is distortion, uh shutting down, you know, shutting down the economy and, and telling businesses they were not allowed to be open just had a devastating and distortional effect on everything. But yeah, even if we get to where we have unemployment, um, Catherine can speak to this very well. When you say, Oh, well, we're at three percent unemployment, let's say we go to 10%, um, that means they'll be able to get those people. I don't know. When we had high unemployment in 2009, where there were there a lot of normal uh office workers coming out there and saying they wanted to Uh, push manure or uh, put the milkers on the cows I'm guessing no
0: I think that answer or that question answers itself and it's the same way right now Uh, my parents employ about 80 people and they're down 15 to 20 at the moment because they're paying better than they ever have there's benefits but um, people people don't want to work that hard
2: Right. So then the issue and then remember where we do almost all of food production happens to be in really rural areas or even semi rural areas. I'm not completely rural, but I am in a rural area. Um, And. Well, we've got some problems in places that are rural areas, we've got meth problems, we've got welfare problems, but we certainly what we also have is we have a want to work uh, population problem. So that's where you start to think about what does this look like when. You not only have me owning a $600,000 piece of farm machinery, um, I've got three of them, and I need somebody can operate the other two. Oh, here, meth head that doesn't have a normal job, I need you just on this week in October. Oh, wait a minute who's going to be just available for a week in October? You know what I mean? There's the seasonality and the availability, and then you're handing over the keys to a half million dollar piece of equipment to somebody that you wouldn't trust them to feed your cat. So there's, there's that real issue also out here. I mean, what's the stat? Uh 17% of our population lives uh where there's and 97% of the land area of the United States, you know, we're, we tend to be, underpopulated out here, certainly underpopulated with competent people that you can use on a seasonal basis. So the uberization conceivably moving boundaries and shortening time and distance would uh, help that.
0: All right, one last question before we wrap. We have talked a lot about the benefits of the uberization of active farmers. What are some of their risks besides machinery not being available right when you want it?
2: That's the biggest one. Obviously, you say, crap, my, you know," there's a storm coming through. And if I had had my machine, I could have gotten those fields done. My, my crop would be in the bin. There's that obvious one. Um, farmers do look at machinery as a function of their business. And you and your you know amortization of it, um, using it as, as a tax strategy. Um, but again, I've had enough on my own Business of Agriculture podcast with uh, the farm CPA, uh, Paul Neifer, And he talks about machinery as tax. um, He talks about the evils of thinking of machinery purchase as tax planning. So let's get rid of that one. Um, There's going to be the issue, you say, about liability. And I guess the Uber concept has already proven that's really not that big of a deal. I mean, if If everybody was getting in an Uber car was getting killed because the driver was, you know, high on uh, meth and like driving them into trains, you'd probably be like, oh, crap, I can't take an Uber. We're not hearing about it. So you'd say, is there a liability problem? Um, Probably not. I mean, no more than if you did a custom harvest or custom planting arrangement. Um, Benefits probably still um, outweigh the negatives. Um, Pride of ownership, you can talk about that. I take really good care of my stuff. That's why I still have grandpa's John Deere 4020 out in the shed, right? That's that's something. Um, when it's the when it's you don't own it. Um, is it the same? I don't know. I mean, look at ride shares and bike shares and all that stuff. It seems to work at some level. The big one right now is the technology. Um, I'm gonna be doing a speaking engagement for a big John Deere dealership in November, and I'm gonna spend a day with their field people touching the equipment. So right now that technology is specific to that machine and their data collection. So that's gonna be your big one right now is that machine goes across my field. I know all of the harvest numbers. I also know them by the row, by the acre, you know, you get those color coded maps and all that. Right now the data is, the data collection and the technology is specific to that machine. So you'd say, ah, well, that's why you can't just have a combine from Tennessee roll into North Dakota because of that. It also could become mobile. (laughs) I mean, you know, we we live in an era now where we have stuff on the cloud. Like you can save this thing that we're recording right now somewhere out in the heavens and then grab it again. (laughs) So I think that the technology, while it might be specific to machine right now, it wouldn't have to be. It seems it should be very transferable or uh, uh, changeable, right? Well, Damien, you've given us a lot to think about
1: today. and we can't wait to see where this concept goes and kind of the time frame. But where can our listeners find you, ask you more questions, um, or or follow you on social?
2: or insult me about whether I have ideas of my own or not, Val, let's ask, let's just go ahead and face it. That's what these really want to do. Damianmason.com D A M I A N Damianmason.com. You can find me. I'm a, I, I don't do much on Instagram, but I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And I also have the business of Agriculture podcast. So I really appreciate you guys having me on and anybody that wants to look me up, look me up.
1: Perfect. Well, thanks again for joining us. And thank you listeners for tuning into this week's episode of the millennial Ag podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can email us at talktous@millennialag.com. Until next week, we are Millennial Ag.